Over this past uh, month or so, we've looked into different reasons uh, behind our faith. I was joking with some people uh, this week and mentioned to them when then when I first uh, started studying theology, I just wanted people to tell me what Nazarenes believed and just be done with that. Um, I wanted the cliff notes of what Nazarene theology would have been. And, and once I knew what I was supposed to believe, then when I had time, I would go back and study that and try to figure out why we believe what we do. And that system worked really well for a little while until somebody came to me and asked me the reason behind my beliefs. And all I could say was, well, uh, some really smart people told me that, <laughs> and uh, I, but honestly, I hadn't got to that yet, and it was an honest answer, but I felt bad that I didn't have a reason for my belief system, and, and instead of just trusting that somebody told me the truth and told me how to believe, and that may seem like a, a terrible idea for a pastor, not to have an idea for, for every theological question, but I'm going to confess to you, I still don't know all of the answers. And I'm okay with that. I learn something every single week and the Lord shows me maybe a, a little nugget of his truth that I didn't get the week before. And it's certainly true this week. Uh, we've looked into different reasons of why we believe the way we do. We've looked into, I believe in God and I believe that there's truth found in the Bible. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that God is good. And today we're looking into, I believe in heaven and hell. And I remember a conversation that I had with a former coworker. There were three of us in that conversation that day. Two of us were Christians. One of us was not. I think she had a basic belief in the Lord, but as far as I know, she never followed Jesus. And for some reason, our conversation got on the subject of heaven and hell. And she said something to me that day that I had never heard before or really con, uh, considered. And she said, well, Brian, I believe in heaven. I just don't believe in hell. And my faith was pretty new at that point. And, and so this is a foreign concept. But my Christian friend laughed and he said, so you believe there's an eternal reward, but there's no sort of eternal punishment? And she said, yes. Why would a loving God send anyone to hell? And I never explored that be before. And uh, I never thought about why there is a heaven and why there is a hell. And I assumed that I was just told the truth. Of course there's a heaven and a hell because so-and-so told me there was. And that conversation, though, opened my eyes to how common her belief was. And so many people hold the exact same belief system as my friend, that there's only a heaven, but there's no hell. In a 2003, a research group discovered that 64% of Americans... 64% of Americans expect to go to heaven when they die. 64%. That statistic kind of surprised me until I also read that 35% uh, of Americans have no clue what was going to happen after they die, uh, or they didn't think anything would happen after they die, or there was a small percentage that thought they would come back as a tree or a duck or something like that. 
1% of people admitted they might go to hell. 1%. That means that 99% of Americans don't believe that there's a consequence. 99% of your neighbors, your coworkers, perhaps other family members think that heaven is something that is automatic and that nothing is going to happen in the afterlife that we can control while we walk here on earth. And I know this sermon is titled, I believe in heaven and hell, but heaven isn't the problem here. Hell is. And although I don't think most of the theology of, of heaven is necessarily accurate, most people believe there's an eternal reward called heaven. And perhaps uh, we will get around to, to heaven someday. I hope you get around to heaven. I mean, perhaps we'll get around to preaching about heaven uh, someday. Um, but we're not going to spend all that time this morning learning about this concept that probably everybody already believes in. Let's look at the other side of the coin and see what we need to learn about hell. And so where do we start with today? How about we start with some questions and misconceptions that people have about the existence of hell? And most of what we're looking at today comes from the teaching of Jesus. Jesus spoke about hell more than all of the other biblical authors combined. And we don't get a clear doctrine of hell unless we listen to Jesus himself. If you were to divide up all of his teaching into categories, he spoke about hell or uh, um, judgment or punishment or the wrath of God 13% of the time Jesus spent on this subject. But yet 99% of the church's teaching is all about the love and the softer side of God. We love thinking and, and seeing Jesus as the lamb of God, but we quickly forget that he's also the lion of Judah, right? And if I'm honest, I, I try to just do this mental calculation I think this is probably the fifth or sixth time that I preached about hell since I've been a pastor, but this is the first time that the entire sermon has been dedicated to this subject. So let's go through some of the reasons that people ignore or worse, that they don't believe that there's a hell at all. The first one, if you're taking notes, is hell is repulsive. America just doesn't want to believe in hell. Why? Simply put, Americans are repulsed by the idea of some sort of eternal punishment. And we think it's just easier to stick our heads in the sand and pretend that something doesn't exist because we don't like the idea of it. We don't uh, spend time learning about hell because we don't like it. We don't want to think about all those that we love that never followed Jesus, that made the choice. We'll talk about that in a moment, about going to hell. Uh, But not liking something is not a way for me to discern whether it exists or not. I don't like cauliflower, but it exists, right? It sure does. 
So we must distinguish between liking and disliking something and whether or not that something exists or whether it's true or not. It, it may uh, not feel good to fire somebody from a job, but that doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. And there are other times when things feel very good, but we know it's the wrong thing to do. That's sin. We wouldn't sin if it didn't scratch some sort of itch in the human experience, right? I had a friend uh, of mine that was on a plane ride back from California one time, and by chance, he sat next to a CEO of a company that produced pornography. And my friend had the opportunity to explain to him the many families that he knew that had been destroyed by this man's industry. And here was this CEO's response. Oh, my company has never been built on the back of a strong man, but only on those who give in to their temptation. Hmm. See, we can't dismiss something just because we don't like it. It's there. Number two, if you're taking uh, notes, uh, hell is unjust, people say. Many would just say that, well, hell isn't un is unjust. It just doesn't make sense. The, the punishment doesn't fit the crime, pastor. Hell is too heavy-handed. Hell is way too harsh, and it goes on for way too long, like forever. Well, there's two different concessions that people make when they believe that hell is, un is unjust. And uh, they've invented different ways to make sense out of their own desires of belief. It's easier for people to believe that God is just done with people after this life. Or they believe like my friend did that God will have everyone go to heaven. See, we need to understand this is a different way of thinking for most of the world. In the Western world, we have this kind of concept of heaven and hell. But you get outside of our, our Western thinking and you see something exactly the opposite. If you were to talk to some of our brothers and sisters in Africa or Asia or the Ukraine right now, they see the evil that people commit and, and wonder how could God be just if there isn't a hell? And if there isn't some sort of extreme and uh, divine punishment, they believe that hell exists because God is a God of justice, not in spite of it. I read a disturbing quote this week from a Christian theologian. He was from Croatia and he grew up in that war-torn country and he witnessed his uh, neighborhood being bombed and, and hundreds of people uh, dying and witnessed all that death. And he says this, it takes a quiet, it takes the quiet of a suburban home for the birth of the idea that God refuses to judge his creation. Hmm. Do we judge God's goodness based on our happiness? Uh, not a concept of, of a just God who uh, has real consequences for real sin. 
You see, I, I, I think we still have a need for justice. You and I recognize when things seem out of whack, don't we? We, we get that. If a murderer commits that murder and then faces no punishment, we call that as injustice and we would scream out and say, we need to see justice here until the sin is our own. We think the punishment fits the crime. So we cry for justice to be done all the time. We think that hell is necessary for some people, just knows that maybe not those who look and behave the way we do. But hell is all about justice. If we're honest, we, we know that there is a God and he is perfectly good and just. And if God is perfectly good and just, then he must judge impartially and fairly. And there have to be consequences for the evil that people commit. If God is truly just, there has to be a hell. Does that idea make us uncomfortable? Of course it does, but it also makes sense. Lee Strobel, maybe familiar with Lee Strobel said, people tend to care only for the softer virtues of God's character, like love and tenderness, while they've forgotten the hard virtues of holiness, righteousness, and justice. See, God is love, he's compassionate, he's merciful, he's long-suffering, but he's also just and moral. God is good because he is just. And just because he is a perfect judge, his justice is also perfect. And it may seem too hard to us, it may seem uh, or too lenient to us, but we don't get to be the rule maker there, do we? The bottom line is that none of the cultures on earth are the preeminent decider on what is right or what is just in our universe. Only the creator can decide that, not us. Number three, one of the things that I've heard a lot of people say about hell and why they don't wanna believe in it or, or don't want to believe in the God, in our God is, isn't hell Overkill. I, I've heard the argument that uh, an infinite time of punishment is not fair for a finite time where sin was committed. In other words, isn't eternity just a little bit of overkill? God, isn't that too long? What we need to understand here is the, the length it takes to commit the crime has nothing to do with the length of the punishment. Punishment is always based on the seriousness of the crime. It may take just a few seconds to murder somebody, but does that mean they only deserve a few seconds of punishment? No, of course not. We, we put them in jail maybe for the rest of their life. Punishment is based on the offense of the crime. And so maybe you might be thinking, well, yeah, okay, Pastor Brian, but we're, we're not talking about serious crimes against humanity. Let's just look at maybe the little sins that, that we do. Isn't eternity an overkill for those things? See, here's the problem with that. 
Our society fails to value the moral cost of our sin. We want to think that our sin is not bad enough to to warrant any sort of heavy sentence. But God's word helps us to understand that we're not as serious about sin as God is. So here's the problem with the way that we see sin. We tend to see sin as something that we do against somebody else. That, though, is a consequence of sin. What we fail to understand is that sin is against God himself. We think of it this way. If you come to me and if you were to come up to me today and you were to slap me in the face, chances are I'm not going to be happy with you, right? All right. Um, I'm going to do my best not to overreact. I'm going to do my best to uh, respond to you in an appropriate way and to not strike you back. But if you go to my wife and kids and slap them in the face, we got a problem, right? You may see a whole lot more of the humanness side of your pastor come out of if that happens. And parents, you get that right? You can mess with us all you want and and we got a problem, but you mess with our kids, you have a problem, right? You get that, don't you? I I take a greater offense and I'll take greater ownership over the consequences if you mess with my family. And see, when we sin, we're messing with God's kids, including the kid who died for our sins. So we are in fact sinning against God himself. And so the, the issue of the punishment for sin has never been about the nature of the sin or the sinner. It's always been, a, it's always been about the one that we're sinning against. Number four, some of the objections or maybe even something that people don't understand about hell. And, and I've heard this, well, isn't hell just this big torture chamber? You know, I'm, I'm not going to stand up here as your pastor and tell you, I know exactly what hell is going to look like. Cause I don't, I don't want to describe the environment of hell because although the Bible and Jesus gives us some very good clues about it, I don't know for sure what it's going to be like. What I, what I believe is true though, however, is that whatever we think it's going to be, it's worse. I've heard many people say that the imagery that the Bible uses to describe hell is just a symbol. It's really not what's actually going to happen there. And I've heard very trusted theologians say that when Jesus said that hell was going to be fire and darkness, that he didn't mean in literal fire and darkness. Like maybe hell's not as punishing as we think. I'm not so sure about that. Here's what I think about hell. If you were there, I think you're gonna wish it was only fire and darkness. Fire has been described by this word, disintegration, darkness as isolation. We're going to go over those terms here in just a little bit. 
But let's realize that when the Bible uses symbols to describe something, the reality of it is actually almost always far worse, far real than the picture itself. This uh, last week, we went to Avani's for dinner and, and evidently they had just uh, mopped the floor and there was one of those little yellow signs, you know, the ones I'm talking about, uh, caution, slippery floor, wet floor, whatever it might be. And you know what that looks like. On that sign is this little symbol, right, of this guy like in mid-fall, right? And it's a symbol of what might happen, what could happen if you slipped on the wet floor, right? You know that picture doesn't do the reality justice, right? You know that if you fall in the bathroom or there in the hallway, that your fall is not going to feel like some sort of cartoon, right? Um, you know that that fall is probably going to result in some sort of injury. And the older we get, the more that fall is going to hurt, right? So we know that little symbol doesn't do justice to the reality of what that's going to look like. The symbol on that sign looks awful, but the experience is going to be far worse. The other side of that is this wedding ring is a symbol of Carol and I's marriage to one another. It's a symbol. It's a powerful symbol, but the experience of our marriage is far greater than a ring. So even if hell is not some physical torture chamber, and it may be, but even if it weren't, the reality of hell, I think, is far, far worse. It's a place of emotional, psychological, relational suffering and anguish. And whatever the images the Bible uses where it says there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth or a lake of fire, are trying, whatever those things are trying to project to us, the reality of hell is going to be far worse than those. It's going to be a lonely, awful, and hopeless experience. It's a place that none of us would ever wish on our, on our worst enemy. It is an eternal separation from God. Remember, Jesus calls uh, hell uh, fire and darkness. Fire, I've been told, is this disintegration, which means that we are cut off from everything that is good. It doesn't exist anymore. Nothing that good is good exists. Darkness means we are isolated from anything that is God. Why is that worse than fire and darkness? Because God, our God, is a life-giving source of everything in the universe, of everything that we call good, of everything that we experience that is good in life comes from God. All joy, all pleasure, all laughter, art, music, and monocles, it all comes from God, right? So if all of these things are a gift given to us from God because he is so good, then what are we left what are we left with if his presence and his grace are forever 
removed. One could say that hell is just a a logical conclusion of a life lived in total autonomy from God. When we live a life where we declare ourselves as our own God, if we think that we are provided solely for ourselves, that we are the master of our own domain, then hell is just a logical conclusion for living such a life. I want you to turn to a story in God's word in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 is a story of where Jesus is talking about the reality of hell. And he gives us just a little bit of a, an insight into it. And we get to look there a little bit. And again, I believe this is a symbol, but the reality of it is going to be far worse than even Jesus tells us. Luke chapter 16 starting at verse 19. Since there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades hell where he was in torment. He looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things. While Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you are a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, father. Send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. In this story, Jesus tells us about this man in hell and he's asking to have Lazarus dip his, dip the end of his finger in water, bring it to him to cool his tongue for he is in anguish in the fire. This is the most haunting part of this story to me. There is no water there. In other words, hell is the place where even the most basic common good of God is absent. It's gone. Every blessing, every comfort that he provides to us on this earth no longer exists. 
everything we enjoy, all the things that we think we deserve because we've worked so hard for it, they're all gone. God's grace is non-existent. The presence of God is absent. See, God or hell exposes the lies that humans have told ourselves ever since the, the Garden of Eden that we don't need God. You see, the salvation of God is a gift to us. It's freely offered to all of us, but we get to decide whether we accept it or not. We get to decide if we want to accept the gift of Jesus dying on a cross in place of our sins. And so hell then is this logical consequence of a life lived where we tell God, I don't need you. I can do everything without you. And so God is saying at the time of our death, if we have refused his goodness on earth, well, then we get to spend eternity without it. And neither one of you have ever lived without the goodness of God. Neither one of you have, of us have ever lived outside of the presence of God. We are far from living that kind of life. Hell is devoid of the grace of God. And none of us, not even if we have no idea who Jesus is yet, have ever lived a life outside of God's presence. But such a place does exist and it's called hell. And we decide whether or not we'll spend eternity there. So let's look at this other excuse that people have given for not believing in hell. Some people would say, well, I can't believe in, in uh, this good God that you talk about. I can't believe in God at all because it just seems like God is happy sending people to hell. I want you to look at our story again. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham rep replied, son, Remember that in your lifetime, you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted and you are in agony. So here we have this rich man, this guy that has gone to hell forever, whose life was filled with a whole lot of good things while he was on earth. Not the ultimate things, uh, not eternal things. But what is, what is God what does God say to him while this man is in hell? Does he yell at him and call him a no good rotten sinner? You're just getting what you deserve. You had your chance. You said no. And, and you're just living in the reality of existence with me. You tried to do that here on earth and I'm just giving what? No. He doesn't do that at all. He calls him son. Other versions say my child. Here's the truth. Even those that are spending eternity from God are still loved. And even though the anguish is real for the one that, 
that is in hell. Even though it's pain and it's agony for them, it's also pain and agony for the Father. One of the other fallacies about our beliefs is this. Number six, pastor, does God force people into hell against their will? There's a notion that God has already uh, chosen some people to go to heaven. He's, he's not chosen other people to, uh, to go. And uh, some people go to heaven. Some people go to hell. And see, I don't even see that as biblical. I, I understand where that comes from. I just don't see that as what uh, God is really saying here. I believe hell is this natural consequence that people make. And, and I've heard hell described as the ultimate monument to human freedom. In Second Peter, Peter is confronted by some scoffers who come up to him and they say, where is this coming of God that you have promised? Nothing's changed. Ever since our ancestors died, people still do choose, or people still do what they choose. And I want you to see how Peter responds to them. He's saying it to us today. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, in other words, every day that we wake up, every day that we get to spend here on earth is another opportunity to receive the gift of salvation from God. Or you can see it's another day to reject it. Every day is an opportunity. Every day we get to choose our eternal destiny. That same theologian who grew up in that war-torn country of Croatia wrote these words. God will not judge, not because God gives people what they deserve, but because some people refuse what no one deserves. If evildoers experience God's terror, it will not be because they have done evil, but because they have resisted the end of the powerful lure into the open arms of their Messiah. Maybe you're familiar with C.S. Lewis. He put it this way. There are only two kinds of people. Those who say thy will be done to God and those whom God says in the end, thy will be done. I believe that the damned are successful rebels until the end, he says, and they enjoy the horrible freedom which they demanded. I, I don't know if I've convinced you uh, this morning of the existence of hell or, or not. Uh, as I said, this is the first sermon I've given totally uh, directed on the subject of hell. It's not because I don't think this is important, but I truly think that we need to have a full understanding of what this lifetime of the rejection of Jesus is going to look like. And it's not because I didn't want people to get a taste of what an eternal, completely void, voided presence of God looks like. Or even a drop of water is a treasure. I certainly want people to know that and to avoid that. It's not that I haven't led people to a saving faith in Christ through a fear of hell. I have, I've done that. But folks, I would much rather lure somebody towards someone than away from someplace. Why? 
Because I believe it's never enough to tell people what they should run from unless I tell them what they should run towards. It's not enough to tell people even to run away from sin unless I'm telling them about a God who became human. Unless I'm telling about a man who died for their sins. Unless I'm right and rose again to redeem sinners from death. To, res- to redeem sinners from punishment. And that includes hell itself. Friends, I don't think it's ever enough to run away from hell unless we're willing to run into the arms of Christ. See, I don't think that Jesus sees us for our perfectness. He sees us for our potential. He sees us for what could be if we were to follow him. And even though the theology of hell is super, super important, I would much rather tell people about a God who is waiting for them with open arms that no matter what they have done here on earth, that he still loves them and wants them and wants them to be with him forever in heaven, not hell. And so I want you to maybe think about yourself or maybe that person in your family that isn't running into the open arms of Jesus. And let's pray for them. Let's pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good and a just God. And even though, Lord, the concept of hell is not easy for us, especially in Western thinking, we think it's too heavy-handed, too long, too, too complete. And Lord, I just don't think we've weighed the the scale of our sin, right? It's never been about what we've done. It's always been about who we've committed the sin against. So Lord, maybe there are those here this morning who need to come to you for the first time and say, Lord, I've messed up. And some of the things I've, I, I've done, I've, I've completely meant to do. And they, uh, Lord, I'm sorry for those. I'm sorry for offending a great and wonderful and just God. And so, Lord, I need to ask for your forgiveness today. And Lord, we may not have it all figured out. We may not know exactly what that looks like to come running into your arms. But, Lord, would you ask us to do it anyway? And, Lord, as we reach out and grab a hold of you, May we just find, may we find out just how loving and how beautiful, how accepting, how wonderful that you are. And all that we have faced here on earth, some people have called this the greatest hell we would ever face when the reality of hell is far worse. But Lord, 
instead of keeping our eyes behind us and trying to avoid a place, may we continually run to the one who died in our place, the one who loves us enough to die for us. May we run into your arms, Jesus. And may we experience your goodness, your justice, and your love. Lord, for all of our family members who have been arguing about God and arguing about the existence of hell, maybe we might have got a nugget or two today, who knows. But remind us, Lord, instead of being that person with all the law and all that figured out, let us instead be that person of peace. Let us be Jesus to them. Let's give them something to run towards instead of against. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this incredible day that you have given us. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to learn even about a hard subject as hell. Lord, may it be all for your glory and in your name that we pray, amen.